With three weeks to go now, we're focusing on Easter. And I, I was chatting with, phone, with Chris on the phone in the week, and he says, well, you know, we should be thinking about Easter. I said, yes, three weeks to go. So these next three messages will be our run-up to Easter. And in the church calendar, if I were a fisherman, there are times when the fish come or shoal together at certain times during the year. And Easter is one time and Christmas is another. So we always like to get the nets out for Easter and begin to prepare because people come to church at Easter and obviously they come to church at Christmas. And particularly people don't normally come to church. So we like to prepare for that. And it's my chance, my opportunity now to kind of kick off. And Chris said to me, well, look at Lazarus. I said, okay. And see what you can bring out of that. So we're going to do just that. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, it's interesting because when I, I began to do my research here now, of all the three Gospels, what we call the Synoptic Gospels, you'll find you won't find much about Lazarus in them. It's only in John's Gospel that you find about Lazarus. Now, it's an interesting time in the life of Jesus. Jesus' popularity is growing. The crowds are increasing. However, there's growing opposition amongst the religious community. Well, why is that? Well, Jesus had a contemporary expression of Jesus, of the Jewish faith. In other words, he kind of healed the sick. He kind of opened the eyes of the blind. He kind of fed the hungry. He kind of raise the dead and that was kind of different to what people were used to so there was this kind of excitement amongst the community because Jesus didn't just teach he began to do and teach and then the religious community are like who is this guy what university did he go to which school of learning did he come from where where did he come from so there's this confusion amongst the religious, as it were, authorities. There's this kind of adulation amongst the crowds. And after the incident of Lazarus, we find that there is a distinct change in the attitude of the religious authorities to Jesus after the Lazarus affair. Basically, they want to kill him. It's just too much. So... What we're going to consider this morning as I looked at this passage are three things. We're going to look at how Jesus confronts boundaries. We're going to look at how Jesus confronts unbelief. And we're going to look at how Jesus confronts death. So, let's pick it up now. I'm going to read from John chapter 11. It'll come up on the screen for you. If you're obviously on the podcast, you can't see it, but you can hear it. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was for Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one who you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha 
and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to the disciples, let's go to Judah. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by the night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. Let's pull out some points here. What I love is this. Jesus, you see, he's not driven by the crisis. Because you think about it. If this is your friend whom you love and you hear that he's sick, what's your natural reaction? It's rhetorical, I will answer it. (laughs) You want to go to him. That's what you would do. That's what I would have done. That's what you would have done. But what I love is that Jesus, he says, oh, he's sick. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I think I'll stay a few more days. Which, and you can, and you can imagine the disciples around him, they're like, what's wrong with the man? Lazarus, we know that he loves Lazarus. We know that he's a friend of Lazarus. Why isn't he going to him? Now, here's the point. Jesus wasn't defined by other people's agenda. Jesus wasn't defined by other people's boundaries. He wasn't driven by the circumstances. More often or not, I, I find in my life that I'm driven by the circumstances. I remember an instance, my sister who lives in the States, or one of them lives in the States, Sharon, she's just completed occupational therapy degree, blah, blah, blah. But of the one, of the four of us, we always felt that she was the favorite. You know? So, some of you know what it's like. <laughs> so, Sharon came over from America, and my dad, you know, oh, Sharon is here, blah, blah, blah. So, I went and picked her up from the airport, you know, and Sharon, good to see you, blah, 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 etc., and dropped her off at mum and dad's house. And Sharon was here for two weeks, but I was busy, and I didn't manage to get in to see her. So about a couple of days before she left, my brother, who's a good man, he texts me to say, uh, Dennis, I think you need to come around uh, and see Sharon. You know? So I said, okay. Anyway, we were at my mum and dad's house, and Sharon, of course, was there. So I arrived, and my dad kind of looked at me. Oh, so you know where we live. <laughs> and Rachel and Stephen were smaller then, so they kind of, hi, granddad, blah, blah, blah. You know, oh, Rachel, blah, blah. So in they went. So everything's going well. I'm thinking, man, I'm not going to get in no trouble They're here. And then about 10 minutes in, my brother said, dad wants to have a word with you. Now, what you need to remember is I'm 43 at this point. I'm not, I'm 50 now, but I was 43 then. <laughs> and... He was upstairs in the bathroom, in the bedroom. So I start to go up the stairs. As I go up the stairs, I'm 43. By the time I reach the top of the stairs, I'm 12. 
And he starts, I don't know what's wrong with you. Your sister come over here and you don't have any time. I don't even know I can forgive you. And, he, and I'm there. And instead of me setting the boundary, I'm like, yes, dad. Yes, dad. Yes, dad. And then he's just going for the coup de grace, as it were, you know, to kind of disown us and disinherit us. Then Rachel comes in, granddad. And all of a sudden he changes track. Oh, Rachel. I'm thinking, you saved my bacon. <laughs> I reflect on it. Because I realized sometime later, and our kids used to tell me off, they say to me, oh, when you go back to your mum and dad, you're like a kid. And I thought, I reflected, and I said, see that? I had not defined my boundaries. I had not said to dad, look, dad, it's not that I don't love Rachel, but she is your daughter, <laughs> and she is my sister, and I couldn't come, rather than take a beating. But Jesus, you see, here's the point. He wasn't berated by the fact that the disciples knew that Lazarus was his mate and his friend, and he wasn't going. He wasn't going to be determined. He was not going to determine his actions by the pressures of other people. And more often or not, sometimes what happens with us is that we do things because of the pressure from other people. But Jesus didn't give in to that. Jesus now decides that he's going to go to Judah. The disciples say to him, but Jesus, how can you go down? The people want to kill you. So their fears for him are trying to protect him from going where God has called him to go. But once again, he draws the line and he says, no. He says, look guys, basically, if they're going to do anything to me, it's in the day. And I'm going there. And see, what they don't understand is that he knows he has divine protection. And nothing can happen to him until the right time. Jesus is not defined by the spoken or unspoken words of those around him. And I have to thank you, Linda, for this book that uh, Father Matters, fantastic book. Uh, Linda, Linda Hall heads up the pastoral side. She's a real blessing to me, but she always drops books into my life just at the right time. And the book has really ministered to me. But Lynn Button in the book, she said this about Jesus, about this particular instance. She said, Jesus was more present to God than he was to those around him. Jesus was more present to God than those around him. And more often, we are more present to people than what God is telling us. We are more concerned about what other people will say or think. Jesus didn't need men's approval. He, didn't, he wasn't approval addicted. He was secure in his own identity. He was clear about his boundaries. And here's the important thing. Because he was clear about his boundaries, because he knew who he was, because before he started his ministry, Matthew 3, 17, what did God declare about him? He said, this is my beloved son, Jesus, with whom I am well pleased. So he knew who he was. And he was comfortable with that. Therefore, he could hear the father's voice. And for most of us, myself included, we are so impacted by what other people's opinions or expectations are of us. Some of them have been put on us. And they're not from God. And it's hard for us to hear God's voice because we keep hearing someone else's. 
This morning, you need to consider what are the boundaries in your life? Where have you received things from others, good people, and they have created a situation where you can't hear God? False expectations. Unrealistic expectations. Words over your life that are not from God. And where you've allowed people to come into your life that shouldn't. There are people who will come into your life who will take from you. You know, I have a lady, she only rings up when she's in trouble. And it's rah, rah, rah. You tell them exactly the same thing. And 10 weeks later, they're doing the same thing again, but they haven't taken the advice. And sometimes we don't have the courage to just say, look, maybe if you just do keep the advice, do what I said to you, that'll be fine. Catch you later. What we want to tune into is hearing the Father's voice. When we're out there, you see what happens, if you go to work, if those of you who go to work, I go to work, it's very easy to think, right, I've had my quiet time in the morning, if you do do that in the morning or the evening, and you go to work, and you completely tune God out. You know, I'm a businessman, I have meetings, or a business lady, I have this, presentations, blah, blah, blah. But one of the things I've been learning is to become more open to God. And more often than not, what I find that is that I'm talking to a member of staff or they come find you. And they want to talk with you. Or one lady, she, in fact, I come in the morning, she just rushed out the door. I've got to go to the doctor. I've got to go. I said, okay, fine, cool. Came back, started to talk with her. Good friend. She starts to share about her life. Shares a little bit about her past. Shares about some of the stuff that her former husband used to be into or parents was into. She's got high blood pressure. We pray for her, I said, well look, I'm just going off somewhere okay, come, we'll pray for you pray for her, pray healing on her I'm going off somewhere she tugs me, she says thank you for praying for me, the blood pressure's come down I've got peace, blah 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 I said, yeah, bless God But I, and I could, and it would have been so easy for me to say look, could you catch me later man, I've got to go off to Ilford now but I said no, got to make yourself available and friends, you know, we need to make ourselves available and there are boundaries that we can set, but we need to know when to let people in and when to close the boundary. And that's a whole session in itself. So let's move on to the next point. Jesus confronts unbelief. This is John 11, 17 to 27. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus was already being in the tomb for four days. i just make a comment here. I almost feel like God wanted to make sure that Lazarus was really dead. Yeah. It wasn't that he swooned, baby. He's dead. And as you find out, found out a little later, he's not only just dead, he's smelly. But let's go on. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. It was east of Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Mar- Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Mary said to Jesus, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me will live, and even though he dies, and whatever lives, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. I always smile when I read 20, verse 28, because if you go to a funeral, they always, you know, you've got the, the, the vicar in his surplus and everything, and walking in front of the coffin, I am the resurrection and the life. <laughs> he who believes in me will live. And I always get this picture, you know, if Jesus had come there, they're all walking there, stepping, and Jesus would say, excuse me, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, um, can I just have a little word with the guy in the box? Come out! He comes out, everybody runs. <laughs> yeah? Because yeah, you imagine it, everybody's saying, I am the resurrection and life. And Jesus turns up, and all of a sudden, boom, the coffin lid comes off, and Brad's like, Yeah, I'm really thirsty. <laughs> but that's just my mind, you know, so please forgive me. Okay, Jesus makes a statement Your brother will rise again, verse 23. Now, how does Martha respond? She says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, what's wrong with the answer? Martha, in her unbelief, projects her brother's resurrection to the future. She's, she, she doesn't, you see, because when you read, if you read the text, if you read it in the Bible, it says Jesus comforts her. He doesn't comfort her at all. He's, he's trying to get her to actually wake up to the fact that he's going to be raised from the dead. Not in the future, but today. Jesus makes a statement and, pass, and poses another question. He says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, I could preach on that, I am. But anyway, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Then he says to her, do you believe this? And this is what she says. Yes, Lord, she said to him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. She didn't answer the question. What she, she did... <laughs> what she did was she gave Jesus a religious answer the kind of answer that we would have given him she defaults to the fact that yes you're the Christ but not the Christ that could raise my brother today her head was disconnected from her heart. See, one of the problems that we have, particularly for those of us who have been in church a long time, particularly for those of us who come from the evangelical community where we have focused very much on teaching. You know, if you come to this church, some people will say, oh, well, we come here, you know, because there's such good teaching. Well, that's nice and it's good to know. What I'd hope, more importantly, is that God's presence is here and the teaching is important. However, what it means is that we have a, a, a plethora of knowledge of the Bible. And what I've observed is that when people who know a lot of Bible tend to get challenged with difficult situations and circumstances that impact them, their behavior 
There is a disparity between their behaviour and what they know. They know it's loving, that they should be loving, but if someone cuts them or doesn't treat them right, they can batter them. These same people who know that it's not right to take people to court will take them to court. How do I know? Because I've seen it happen in church. And this is the call, it's the head-heart disconnect. You can have a lot of Bible, but it can be disconnected from your heart. This head disconnect means we can believe that Jesus is Lord, yet never expecting to intervene in our lives with his healing power, love or comfort today. But rather in the future. And of course there are some groups of people who will talk about healing and say that when it happened in the last century, it will never happen again. So we're talking major disconnect there. Jesus will confront religious unbelief. You see, this Bible is living. And what God says in here is true. And he can raise the dead and he can heal the sick. And his power has not abated one iota over the century. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. That's what the scriptures tell us. But what happens is that we try to believe God on the basis of our faith. It's nothing to do with our faith. It's his faith. It's his power. It's his love. Unbelief stops God working. Yeah. No, for, for Luca and their little one there, they had to hold on to God. They had to believe that, it's irrespective of what the doctors had to say, that there is a God in heaven who can intervene into their time space world and save their little Rebecca. And he did, because he's God. So Jesus confronts it. So we come to the final point Jesus confronts death. John eleven thirty eight to forty four. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. I like, I'm thinking now, God's, now we know, God's saying, now we know that he's really dead. He didn't swoon. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. That they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The dead man came out. His hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. So Jesus knows that the Father has heard him. He prays and he believes out of that intimacy. He comes to Lazarus. And by the way, you know what the the word Lazarus means? I looked it up. Without help. So he comes to Lazarus without help. He calls him to rise up from the dead 
and removes the apparel of death. So, what does it say to us? You know, Jesus has come to bring back to life those areas where there's death within us. And let's define what we mean by death here. Those areas in our lives where we have just shut God out. We don't want to go there because it's too painful. We have put in a kind of anesthetic so that we can't feel pain there anymore. And even for some of us, those areas have become putrid. You know, there's decay there. He calls us to come out of that death, come out of the cold cave of death, and come into the sunshine of his love, his mercy, and his approval. He calls us to no longer live in the shadow of death. You know, the shadow of death can be grief. And there is a time for that. But he calls us to come out from that shadow. To choose life. To choose life. And more importantly, to live. You can choose life, but you know what Jesus said? He said, I came that you might have life, and that life which is more abundant. The thief comes to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come to give you life. And that word life in the Greek is activity. He's not just calling you to just get up. He's calling you to life, to motion, to service, to activity, to purpose. He comes to set us free from the effects of death. Death, that death that happened in the garden when we got cut off from God. Like the grave clothes that hindered us from walking in freedom and liberty. Now you see, what happens is this. So some of us, we've, we've, we've heard the call, come forth, and we've stood up. But the grave clothes are still on us. This could be rejection, it could be neglect, it could be grief, it could be abuse. But it's still on us. And what he comes to do is to loose us, to set us free. That's why 1 John 3 verse 8 says, For this purpose was Jesus Christ manifest, or them manifest, that he might what? He might undo the works of the evil one. He might destroy. And actually in the Greek it means loose us. From those areas in our lives where the enemy has taken an advantage over us. Where we know we're not what we should be. And Jesus comes to set us free. Some of it we're conscious of. Some of it we're not. My experience. And I'm thankful that, to God that I'm in a church like this. And I, mean, I don't mean it in a facetious sense. You see, we're blessed that we have a pastoral team headed up here by Linda Hall and there are a number of other people involved in it. And they listen to God and they listen to our conversations. And I used to share a lot about my own life, as I do, you know, with obviously the right people. And they would hear things. I was talking particularly about my relationship with my father. And I'd say things, but alarm bells would go off with them, but they never say anything to me about it because they'd wait for God. To speak to me. But God began to speak to me about some of the things that were going on in my relationship with my dad. I'm going to all of them, all of it, 
But the thing is this, it was an area of death. It was an area where I hadn't addressed issues. It was an area where I thought what was okay wasn't okay. And by God's grace, we started to address it. Now for some of you, you're not even conscious of why you do the things that you do. But as you spend time before God, God will begin to show you those areas in your life where there's death. And that death works out in you behaving in a way sometimes which is dysfunctional, particularly when you're under pressure. Are you hearing me? Because that's when it comes out. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to come and take the grave clothes off and pour in oil and wine and heal you up and set you free from the strategies that you have used to keep yourself safe and get you through your life. He comes to speak life into those areas where you've suffered rejection, where we've suffered neglect, where we've suffered grief, where we've suffered abuse. And he says to you this morning like Lazarus, come forth, come out of that place. Don't stay there. Don't go into your cave every time something goes against you. Men, I'm talking to you. There's two types of men. There's those when they get upset, they go in their cave. Me. And those who when they get upset, they get active, they go out. You know which one that you are. Men, we sulk, we go silent. It's not just the women that do it. Yeah? Or we start to get very vocal, shout, or we just leave and go out and do something. And we get active. And if you're a Christian, you do that, what you do is you start to serve more. Yeah? I was reading, and I can remember the quote. It said, the greatest enemy to the worship of Jesus is Christian service. And I'll define it, or else I'll get in trouble. What it means is this, that people begin to substitute service for love of Jesus. People substitute service for love of Jesus. We don't serve Jesus to appease him. We serve because we love him. That takes a lot to swear out of it. Oh, mercy. We better finish quickly now. He comes to raise us up so we can set clear boundaries and not be defined by other people's opinions so that we are more present to God than those around us. He comes to give us the insight and courage to confront the disparity between what we do and what we believe he comes to give us courage to confront all those areas where death reigns in us so that we can be set free to be and do all that God has called us to be and to do that's our God shall we stand